Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Thorne Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam here. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcott from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Adelaide and I'm. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL, and now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That is me. And uh, this week, well, the episode is uh, slightly early. I actually have to drive from Edmonton to Winnipeg for a funeral. Uh, that's on a Saturday. So a Friday, I'm going to be spending all day basically driving. Uh, so I had to push everything up and uh, get the show out a day early, if all goes according to plan, that is. Welcome to the program. If you're a newcomer, then uh, I'm glad that you have uh, stopped by and uh, are giving the episode a try and the show a try. If you're a returning listener, as uh, I forget who it was, somebody on uh, Twitter just let me know this week, they've been listening for eight years uh, simply because they needed to get more information and more education about uh, upcoming prospects. And that's uh, obviously the goal and uh, the reason the Pipeline Show exists. So uh, thank you to that particular listener. I don't have that tweet in front of me. I apologize. Speaking of tweets, the question of the day I put up on Twitter earlier today. Uh, The question this week is, who will end the season with the most points in the entire CHL? I put up five guys who are basically leading the uh, entire country in in scoring. Alexi Lafreniere from Ramuski has 101 points, just 11 games left to go uh, this season for the Oceanic. Uh, Marco Rossi in Ottawa has 99 points, so he's two points back. He's got five games in hand, though. 16 games left for the 67s. Then you've got Adam Beckman uh, from the Spokane Chiefs. Uh, They have 12 games left. Uh, Cole Perfetti of the uh, Saginaw Spirit in the OHL, they have 14 games left. Both of those guys have 97 points. And don't forget Phil Tomasino with 95 points. And uh, he has 14 games left as well. So those are the five names that I put out there. Uh, But feel free to uh, throw out another name if there's somebody else uh, that you uh, think deserves recognition. Paul Vetchkin says, I'm not a junior hockey guy, but I'd assume the games in hand would put Rossi as the favorite. Marcus also says Rossi. Shabbat says uh, Sokolov, so he's going uh, off the board. Tommy Enroth, the listener from Sweden. Thanks for sticking it out, Tommy. He says, I'll go with Alexi Lafreniere. Mark says Rossi for sure. Ryan Wagman says Rossi. The math checks out. And Tom Hunter says uh, Phil Tomasino. Josh Kritzer from uh, Dub Network, he says uh, Beckman now with 97 points. He just had a five-point game last night in Lethbridge. says, I'm not counting him out of the race quite yet. And Josh actually had corrected me. I had originally put that tweet out with uh, 92 points. I'm not sure why, but the 
I swear the WHL website had him still at 92 points when I put out the question uh, this morning, but uh, it's updated. 97 points for Adam Beckman. That brings up to 25 points in his last nine games. Beckman has been on a fire. The Chiefs are coming through Edmonton here in the next little bit. Looking forward to that one. Uh, John says, I got to go with Rossi here in that for that question. Uh, Jackie says, Lafreniere, best talent and uh, points per game. Ryan says, don't count Beckman out. He's been an underdog his whole life, and it's so good to see him proving everyone wrong. That from Ryan. You can get involved and uh, let your thoughts be known. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. Let's get to the CHL news, starting with the uh, top 10 rankings, which came out just yesterday as I'm speaking with you. It's now Thursday. The Ottawa 67s are 1, Sherbrooke 2, Portland 3. No change there. Uh, The Moncton Wildcats go up one spot to number 4. The Edmonton Oil Kings slip one spot to number 5. The Shakutami Saganin are 6, Everett is 7 followed by the London Knights at 8, Ramuski is 9, and the Flint Firebirds, who have been red hot as of late. Uh, they come in at the number 10 spot. Kitchener, Lethbridge, and Saginaw get honorable mentions from whoever puts the uh, top 10 rankings together uh, for the CHL. Of note, the Empton Oil Kings were in Winnipeg yesterday and uh, shut out the ice for the second time in Winnipeg just this season. First time it was 7 nothing. last night it was 5 nothing. Edmonton beat Winnipeg 4-1 here in Edmonton about uh, 10 days ago. 16-1, the record right now. The Oil Kings uh, are 3-0 against the ice and have outscored them 16-1 over the course of those three games. They meet again here in Edmonton on Tuesday for the Hockey Hookie game. 11 o'clock start, 11 a.m., and the building will be packed full of kids. Really good crowds in Edmonton here the last uh, stretch uh, of games. Had uh, just over 10,000. Uh, a couple of times this past weekend. Great to see. Teams playing really well. Exciting team to watch. Uh, and glad to see that the uh, fans are taking note and coming out. I mentioned with the question of the week, some of the leading scorers. Here's who else is standing out in the respective uh, three leagues in the CHL. Lafreniere in the queue has 101 points. Big lead now over everybody else. Cedric Paré has 84. Alexander Hovanov with 83. Igor Sokolov with 81 points. Uh, Alex Olivier Voyer with 76 in Sherbrooke, but uh, Alexi Lafreniere, huge lead there in that scoring race. The top goalies in the queue continue to be Samuel Lavich and Kevin Mandelis with Colton Ellis in the mix, as well as Olivier Rodrigue and Alexis Shank. Meanwhile, in the OHL, Marco Rossi with 99, Cole Perfetti with 97 points, Phil Tomasino with 95, as I mentioned. Then you have Connor Michael with 90 points and Arthur Kaliev of the Hamilton Bulldogs with 86. Nico Dawes leads both the goals against and the save percentage categories. Other names on both lists, Brett Brochu from the London Knights, Jacob Ingham of the uh, Kitchener Rangers, Cedric Andrew from the Ottawa 67s, and Hunter Jones from the Peterborough Peets. In fact, all five goalies uh, appear in the top five of both lists. Sliding over to the Western Hockey League, Adam Beckman uh, continues to lead the league, and he's got a huge lead now as well, 15-point lead. as He he has 97 points. Jimmy Hamlin in Medicine Hat has 82. Seth Jarvis and Zane Franklin, both with 81. Dylan Cousins uh, with 73. A really uh, good indication. I mean, there was three or four points separating all these players not that long ago. Now Beckman with a huge lead, just uh, an indication of how 
prolific his uh, production has been here as of late. Dustin Wolf, top goaltender for goals against and save percentage. 938 save percentage, just terrific uh, for a Wolf. Uh, Sebastian Kosa is number two for goals against and number three in save percentage. Shane Farkas, just the opposite. He's number two for save percentage and three for goals against. You have David Tendek and Dylan Durand as a four and five in both of those categories. Sebastian Kosa with a shutout last night for the Oil Kings gives him four on the season. That's a record for uh, rookie Oil Kings and uh, puts him third already in uh, all-time shutouts uh, for the Oil Kings behind, obviously, Laurent Bressois and uh, Tristan Jari. Meanwhile, Dustin Wolf uh, had a shutout as well, and I believe I read Mike Benton, the voice of the uh, Everett Silvertip, saying uh, I think that puts him fifth all-time uh, career-wise uh, in the WHL for uh, shutouts. Let's go to the NCAA news. Uh, going into this weekend's play, North Dakota almost a unanimous number one. Still one holdout, uh, giving it to Minnesota State, who are ranked number three and sandwiched in between is Cornell. Minnesota State with a record of 26-4-2 and are third uh, behind uh, North Dakota with a record of 23-3-3. Then you have the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs who are four, followed by Clarkson, Boston College, Denver, Massachusetts, Arizona State, Northeastern is 10. And the back half of the top 20 is uh, Penn State at 11, Ohio State, Bemidji State, UMass Lowell, Providence, Quinnipiac, Maine, Minnesota, Western Michigan, and uh, Harvard at 20. Not this weekend uh, coming up, but uh, next weekend, the Oil Kings are in Red Deer on the 29th. I'm going to be going down early. I'm going to be doing color that night for uh, Andrew Peard in the Oil Kings booth. Uh, but I'm going to be uh, meeting up with uh, Cam Moon, and we're going to go to the uh, Troubled Monk Tap Room as a Troubled Monk a sponsor with the uh, Rebels, and of course, they sponsor the phone line here on the Pipeline Show. I don't get to Red Deer often, so uh, I'm going to go early, maybe have lunch or a late lunch at the tap room uh, where I'll be able to try some some samples of what they have on tap. So the ones you're familiar with that you can get in uh, your favorite liquor store, your uh, beer store, like the Golden Gates Golden Ale or the Bucktooth Belgian White or the Open Road American Brown Ale or the Pesky Pig or the Daycation, or the Rebels Red, you can get all of those in stores, although the Rebels Red, I think, is exclusive around the Red Deer area and at uh, the Centrium. But I'm going to get to do Yale to try things like the Badlands Sour Brown Ale or the Helter Spelter Dunkelweizen or the Mary Samsonite Barrel-Aged Cherry Sour. I think that's one that I have to try. Uh, and uh, that one that I told you about last week, the Endless Love Barrel-Aged Sour Saison with Apricot. Sounds like a winner to me, the Snowbird Farmhouse Ale. Lots to try. Really looking forward to that. Next time you're in Red Deer, stop by the tap room. Tell them the Pipeline Show sent you. Now let's uh, talk about who's coming down the pipe today, the guest list for today's show. We're going to start it off. Been doing it all February, getting to talk to some women around hockey and covering a junior or college hockey or working within the leagues. And uh, today we're going to speak with Elaine Shercliffe, uh, not in junior or college hockey, but in a minor pro. She uh, covers the Cleveland Monsters. That's the Columbus Blue Jackets farm team in the American Hockey League. She's based in Cleveland, or just outside of Cleveland, and I had a chance to speak with her on Monday. Really enjoyed the conversation. I, I know that you will as well. So we'll do that in the first segment. Second segment will be with Mary Gates. She is the Director of Communications for the Western Hockey League's Tri-City Americans. So she works for the team. Uh, we'll talk to her about, well, about the Americans, obviously a tough season, but we'll spend more time talking about 
what she does and her role for the team and also get her take on uh, what the NHL coming to the Pacific Northwest will mean for the grassroots movement of hockey there, which has already got a pretty good foothold in Washington State. Uh, but we'll talk to her uh, all about that. Then, breaking news this week, as the Kelowna Rockets have fired head coach Adam Foote, Larry Fisher is my guest uh, in our In the Dub segment. Uh, he, of the Hockey Writers, he's going to join me. We'll talk about what that means for the Rockets. Remember, they're hosting the Memorial Cup, and here a month before the playoffs, they fire their head coach. From the outside looking in, seems like trouble, but we'll uh, get Larry's take as he's right there and has uh, the pulse on the scene in the Okanagan. We'll end today's show with a 2020 draft spotlight to player. His name is Tucker Tynan. Now, he's a goaltender in the OHL with the Niagara Ice Dogs. Hasn't played in the last couple of months because of a really severe injury that he sustained in December. We'll let him uh, describe the incident to you. Uh, I know if you go back, you can probably Google it, and you might even see a clip of it. I've seen uh, maybe not grisly or gory video, but I've seen like still shots. Uh, it's ugly. Uh, but took a skate to the uh, thigh in a game against the London Knights and uh, has been sidelined, probably done for this season, but expected to make a full recovery. We'll get let you get to know uh, Tucker Tynan, as he is draft eligible this year and was up to that point having a pretty uh, decent season in the OHL. So four guests on today's show. We'll start with Elaine Shercliffe covering the Cleveland Monsters in the American Hockey League. All my CHL guests, though, are, are they're brought to you by the store next door out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, employing people with disabilities, collecting as many broken hockey sticks as they can get their hands on, and they take those sticks and they make some really cool hockey-related products out of them. Or just furniture, obviously, would look great in a sports bar or maybe in the uh, lobby of a uh, your local hockey rink uh, or in your man cave or your fan cave. Check them out at thestorenextdoor.ca. Let's kick off the show. We'll talk a little American Hockey League, specifically the Cleveland Monsters, with Elaine Shercliffe. That's first up here on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line now, Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle. Dances around his man to his backhand. Forehand, he scores! Oh my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski. What a move, what a shot. What a goal. Oh, mama. And this is the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. 
There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. With- if one of y'all says some silly ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch. Back on the Pipeline Show this week, and we're going to start this week's episode off uh, talking a little American Hockey League, which we don't do enough probably here on the Pipeline Show, but uh, because I don't always have uh, qualified guests to talk about the AHL, I do this week. Elaine Shercliffe, who writes for the Canon, covering the Columbus Blue Jackets Farm Club. That would be the Cleveland Monsters. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, Elaine. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for making time this week. Uh, I guess I'm doing better than maybe the monsters are doing. As I look at the standings, <laughs> how's that for a segue? The uh, the monsters last place in their division, the only team in the division with a sub 500 record. Uh, what's gone wrong here for the monsters this year? Um, honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with the guys going up and down so much and all the injuries. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now they um, have just enough guys on the roster, and that's including two PTOs. <laughs> wow. So the fact that, and in most of the games, they've been in it till the very end. So, I mean, at least something is working, but it's not like it was at the beginning of the season where they were just high rolling going and they were just doing really well. I mean, and at this, in the same token, I tell fans that they should not be as upset because the whole point of the AHL is to develop the guys to go up top and and produce and they went up top and they're never going to see probably Nathan Gerby again for the rest of the season so so I mean some of these guys are just going up there and doing well and Tortorella's having a hard time wanting to send them back yeah that's a nice success story for Gerby a guy who'd been in the league for a, a long time but a long time ago now worked his way back up to the NHL and the goaltending situation for the uh, the monsters is pretty similar too. those guys have been shuttled back and forth they have well and um matisse come has come down a few times matisse kivlenix come down a few times to get some playing time in um when it was they were just riding elvis the whole time Mm -hmm. but i feel like now since he he got that win his confidence skyrocketed and i think they've just decided to kind of leave him up there knowing that he is comfortable enough to come off the bench and just play where um Vavalainen, he's young, he's a rookie, he still makes rookie mistakes. He needs um his confidence is there, but sometimes it fades away, just like like a normal rookie, you know, just nothing to be too worried about. Uh, what's funny about the monsters though is their goaltender Brad Tyson is also their goaltending coach. So <laughs> when the season started, right? <laughs> when the season started, he was just full on coaching Matisse and um Vavalainen. And then Corpusalo went down, Matisse went up, and Brad had to start backing up Vavalainen. And, and recently they've been kind of sharing the duties. <laughs> so it's it's kind of um, interesting to watch because also whenever uh, Thiessen isn't on the bench and the national, like the Fox Sports Ohio or Sports Time is showing the game on television, he's also color commentating. <laughs> So he wears a lot of hats and does a lot of things for the team. Wow, that's even more than uh, player coach Reg Dunlop from Slapshot, uh, the, old, <laughs> the old hockey movie. But, uh, boy, when it comes to goaltending, 
the the uh, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets like to draft goalies with the uh, with the difficult names for the uh, broadcasters to say. You, you talked about Matisse. It's Matisse Kivalenix and uh, Vavalainen. It's Vene Vavalainen, the, the Finn. Elvis Merzlikens is there, and uh, you mentioned uh, Eunice Corpusalo. I guess Brad Thiessen, he's he's got the uh, – there, but there's no John Smiths or anything like that with this team. Right, not not anywhere in the team, really. Like, yeah. if, you, if you even look at their their skaters, some of them have names, and you look at it, and you're like, is it really pronounced the way? Yeah. <laughs> because um, it's Jacob Lilia, and I assumed from him being overseas that it was Jakob. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's Jacob. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some of them just throw you throw you for that that loop. It. I, I mean, and I think they're like total hockey names. What other sport has this many crazy names coming in to a league? Right. That's true. That's true. Uh, one of those other guys that has been going back and forth this year, Andrew Peak, defenseman. He's uh, he's only got into twenty nine games in the American League because the rest of the time he's been. I was going to say up north, but uh, I don't know the geography in Cleveland or in, uh, in Ohio. <laughs> but I meant north as in the American League to the NHL, uh, up the ladder, to, so to speak. But uh, he's obviously had a pretty good season. He has. And so real quick, um, Columbus is two hours south <laughs> on Route 71 of Cleveland, Ohio. So it's uh, a nice little connector because Cincinnati is two, uh, two, two and a half hours south of um Columbus okay. on 71. So maybe one day the Cyclones could be the ACHL team. It would make life really easy. Yeah, right. Um, right. So Andrew Peak is a gem, honestly, when it comes to defense. He, he his I um he had a really good game for the Monsters when they won, and he had a multi-point game. So we got to interview him for post game, and he made it a point to say, you know, goals are nice. Being able to play both ends of the puck is nice, but my job is a defender. I defend. If I can't do these defensive things properly, I'm not doing my job well. And I think for such a young guy in the league, that is such a big thing to say because so many defenders at the NHL level, they aren't focusing on defense as much anymore. You see more of them trying to score. You see it with the Zach Rowenskis, you know, like he's one of the best scores on the team for the jackets and um but because of that when he makes a defensive mistake it's very obvious and people start saying he's not as great which i'm not saying that but because people start looking at it then his position is defense and if you're making fundamentally unsound defensive plays it doesn't look so good right <laughs> so andrew peak in his mind is defense first offense second and I think like I said for a young guy that's incredible and it when he went up top he got injured because apparently that's just what happens in in Columbus and Cleveland this year Mm -hmm. um so he had to take a little bit of break he when he came down after his injury he looked a little bit apprehensive um but then Dylan Simpson who he kept being paired with I think really uh brought his confidence back and it just explained to him, like, you know, injuries happen. You know, you got to get in there. You just got to do it. So um, I think he got him out of that headspace because now he's back to his peak 
Andrew Peak performance. <laughs> so <laughs> nice, nicely done. That was good. Uh, inter- <laughs> interestingly, it's a defenseman that leads the team in scoring in Adam Clendenning, uh, and not by an insignificant margin. He's there's a nice little cushion there between Clendenning and Stefan Matteau uh, atop the scoring for the team. Does, is that a bit of a surprise? Um, I don't think so because Adam Clendenning is the kind of guy who will do anything for the team. And a lot of his goals have come right from the point. They have come from a range in which a defender should be shooting from or setting up plays from. Um, I mean, his slapper is, I would not want to be in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> Put it that way. It's heavy. Um, on the power play, he, he just slaps him from the point and people leave him alone. No one tries to, I don't understand how after a season of a defender taking a good number of their shots from the point specifically the right side of the point. I will not understand how people haven't swarmed him yet. They still leave him open. Hmm. So he still does it. And they, sometimes they try to clog that lane, but you see them wince when he lets one go. So they already know <laughs> what's coming at them. So I, I think it's great to see Clendenning do that because like I said, he, he does whatever is good for the team. If he has to back off and just do, um, defense. That's great. And he's been playing, um, <clears throat> with all the injuries, he's been on both power play units. So he's basically on the ice for a solid two minutes. <laughs> wow. Elaine Shutcliffe yeah. is my guest. She writes for the Canon. Uh, that's at, for, uh, SB Nation, uh, covering the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, farm team, the Cleveland Monsters. You can follow her on Twitter at I'm a Rain Dancer, which, uh, needs explanation. Uh, what's that all about? Um, so it's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's like a long, Story, and it sounds kind of sad, but it's really not. <laughs> um, when I was younger, I used to be like this. My parents called it a whimsical child. <laughs> um, I would always like go out and like dance in the rain, play in the rain or like um, play in the snow all the time. Things that would make normal parents be like, oh, my God, get in the house. My parents would just let it happen. Um, and we kind of started that like when my dad had, had cancer. And um you know, we just kept doing that as, as like, a, as he went through treatments and he finally kicked cancer's butt and we celebrated by dancing in the rain. Nice. Um, and then when like somehow when I got older, I lost that whimsy a little bit when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my friend Kevin Neff, uh, he one day literally was like, Oh my God, you are so dark and twisty. <laughs> And he forced me, without him knowing any of this about my dad and I, he forced me out into the rain to dance in the middle of the school day, mind you. <laughs> and I'm like soaking wet and it like kind of like reignited his friendship, helped reignite who I was as a person in high school. Um, and unfortunately, my senior year, he actually died of cancer. Oh, so like gosh. really weird, full circle, right? Really weird, full circle thing. So I'm one of those people where when I, do something, it means something. And so when it came to come up with like a Twitter handle or like a scream name for AOL, <laughs> I wanted it to mean something, something important to me that every time I signed on, it was a reminder of who I was. So that's where that came from. Well, kind I, of long, sorry. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lovely story outside of uh, the, the, the one uh, sad part, but uh, thank you for the explanation. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, while we're talking Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Monsters hockey. I was I got tangled up. I started thinking Lake Erie in my head, and it, it threw me for a loop. But specifically, I wanted to ask about a couple of players with an Edmonton connection. That's where I am. And uh, Dylan Simpson, Trey Fixelansky, both of them, well, they're both from here. 
Simpson played uh, at uh, in, in Spruce Grove with the with the Saints before going to North Dakota. Played a little bit with the Edmonton Oilers as well. This is a this is a banner season for him. He, he's on his way to setting career highs. He'll he'll finish this year with more points than he had at North Dakota in any season. And uh, I think you'd have to go back to his Spruce Grove days to see him uh, hit uh, the the numbers he's going to have this year. What's changed for him? I think uh, he's taken on a more leadership role. He's wearing the A. Um, <clears throat> the season started out with Nathan Gerby having the C for home games and Zach Dalpy having the C for away games. And then, you know, the other one was wearing the A whenever the other one was wearing the C. And he was the only one wearing the solid A. Mm. And then Dalby goes down with an injury. Gerby goes up to um, Columbus and, you know, Torts doesn't want to give him back. So <laughs> that leaves Simpson with this A consistently wearing the A. And I think he really embraced it. I think he wanted to show the players um, how you talk the talk and walk the walk. And he, I think he's also learning from the newer, the newer younger guys because they pair him with either a guy that's struggling or a young guy who they've just brought in. So I am um, like, Steve Johnson is on a PTO right now and they had him paired with Simpson until, you know, he started getting faster and better. Mm -hmm. And now he's on the first pairing because of injuries and the guys being up top. So like we have a PTO on the first pair. (laughs) Um, But a lot of that has to do with Simpson because Simpson also worked with peak a lot in the beginning of the year to kind of get him out of those rookie, you know, like rookies have like their little ticks that cause them to make rookie mistakes. And, and Simpson talked with him a lot and worked with him a lot. And I think in turn, he learned a lot about his own game. Because mm. um, you see his game kind of change up a little bit. He positions himself better. Um, he will talk with the netminder a little bit more, depending on who it is. And sometimes he'll, like, he's picked up things from Anton Carlson, who has been playing on the third pairing a bit. But um, where he starts mirroring the goalie now, which is very um, out of Anton Carlson's playbook. So he's learning from everyone. He's a veteran, but it's not beneath him to pick up different things that work for another guy and try them out and see if they work for him. So I think that's kind of what's going on. He's found a scoring touch too. eight goals uh, to this point in the season. That's uh, more than double uh, any other previous uh, season in the American Hockey League. So he's added that to his repertoire as well. Now, Trey Fix Walensky uh, was with the Edmonton Oil Kings up until, uh, well, this is his rookie year as a pro, uh, and he finished his tenure in the Western Hockey League as, uh, well, no question, the most prolific scorer the Oil Kings have had uh, in uh, in their, uh, what are they, up to 10 years now since uh, coming back to the league. Um, now, unfortunately for him, he got off to a good start and then got hurt, and he was out for a couple of months. Took Looks like it took him a while to, to get his feet going, um, but has that scoring has come around for him. What have you seen from, from Trey this year, and, uh, maybe from your perspective, how's the season gone? I think for him, it is going very well, despite the injury. Um, I don't know what his injury was in the AHL, especially the Monsters and Jackets organization. They don't really let you know what the injury is, or even if it's a lower or an upper body. So I have to like look at the players and see, like, are they limping? Are they holding something weird? Mm. <laughs> even try and figure out so that I can assess how they play when they come back compared to what injury. Um, they've had, <clears throat> but for him, I just, um, I'm really impressed with him. I wasn't sure what to expect. I didn't know a lot about him when he came to the team. 
And it, it's a little bit disappointing to see that he hasn't been called up yet by the Jackets since they want someone with speed and offensive prowess because he has both. Um, he knows how to put himself in the right place at the right time. He is unafraid to pass the puck if he can't shoot it. And he's also not afraid to take a shot if he sees it. So there have been times when he has, you know, five registered shots on goal when the teams only had like 19. So he, (laughs) he tends to fire off a lot of shots, but all the shots have meaning. Even the ones that aren't registered, Mm -hmm. if they're missing the net, it's usually by just a bit. They're not going super wide or, um, they're not like haphazard shots. Every time he releases the puck, it has a meaning, which, um, is great to see because I think a lot of times people just want to put pucks on net just for the sake of putting pucks on net. And then when that happens, they start going all over the ice and then, you know, the other team picks it up and it's a bad thing. And, you know, he, if someone takes off with his rebound, he is bound determined to go hunt that guy down and get his rebound back. (laughs) Like he is so unafraid of people. He modeled himself. He said that he has modeled himself after Nathan Gerby and Cam Atkinson. So I think it was great that he came here since they're both in this organization. Yeah. But there are other parts of him that are just so uniquely him. Like his, um, he is very infectious. He's a hype man for the team. He gets so excited for everyone. And I think it helps keep the team going when, when they're not doing so well. You know, he just, he loves to play the game and he loves to be a part of it. And I think that helps him as well, because even if he makes a mistake, he knows how to correct it and he doesn't let it get inside his head. And that's something that coach Mike Eves really preaches as well is, you know, take it shift by shift. You make a mis- mistake, whatever. Next, next shift you have it. And that's kind of how Fix Wolanski plays. We always saw the skill here and the, and the speed and that tenacity that you talked about. There was obviously concern. Is he, how is he going to do as a pro? at that height uh, hasn't held him back though. You're not noticing a, a, an issue there. He certainly thrived and it didn't hold him back at all. It wasn't a hurdle for him at the WHL level, but you know, a step up makes it a little bit more difficult. You've seen uh, a lot of players going back and forth from the American league to the NHL. You do you, do you see an NHL future for Trey fix Blansky? I think so. Um, he really should. I, I mean, I am blown away that he hasn't gotten that shot up there this season. And the only rational reason that I can think of for why is because he has, I think, two more years left on his contract after this year. Mm-hmm. And I think 13 or 14 of the monsters are RFAs this summer and two are UFAs. So I wonder if they're trying to figure out who they're going to paper, who they're going to keep, mm. knowing that they still have fix for a few more years. I wonder if that's the reason or if they're trying to say his height, but they really can't say that since they had Gerby up there. Right. <laughs> people over. Um, because he also, he plays so big. He plays like you f- sometimes forget how short he is until he's walking down the hall. And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, you're shorter than me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So it, I, I, I personally think he will make it at the NHL level. Hopefully soon. <laughs> that's, that's my thought. Elaine Shercliffe covers the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets prospects in Cleveland uh, for SB Nation. That's at the Cannon. Uh, and you can read her stuff on Twitter. I'm a rain dancer 
Um, Elaine, how long you been uh, on the beat for uh, the Blue Jackets? This is my fourth season covering the Monsters. Uh, so I started the year after they won the Calder Cup, the first year that uh, John Madden was there. What brought you to hockey in your career? So, <laughs> well, um, I popped out of the womb a hockey fan because my mom is this. My mom and her mom were like these huge Michigan and Detroit Red Wings. Hockey fans, which was really weird for me because I grew up in Chicago and <laughs> um, Chicago and Detroit at that time in the late 80s, early 90s weren't exactly like, yay, friends. Yeah. And then we moved to Ohio and trying to explain to people in Ohio that I like University of Michigan hockey. Right. <laughs> I didn't, I did not make many friends. <laughs> um, and I had Always my whole life wanted to be when I was in like the second grade, I actually told a substitute teacher that when I grew up, I wanted to be like an actress and a singer and a sports journalist. She thought the other two could totally happen. That, <laughs> But like being a, right. But being a woman as a sports journalist would not happen. Um, I mean, that was like the early 90s. So I guess I could see why she may be felt that way because there weren't a ton of you know women sports journalists out there or just women journalists in general um and I kind of took a back seat for a while and I moved to Columbus in 2012 you know the lockout year (laughs) because I I wanted to work in hockey so I picked the worst year moved to a hockey town (laughs) um and then I was I was kind of blogging a little bit for a Chicago Blackhawks blog and then an all women's run site at the time called Faceoff Violation about like three or four different teams, including the Jackets. And I was like really struggling with the fact that I really wanted to work in hockey. I really wanted to write and like actually make money or like, you know, be a beat reporter. And I was at a meet and greet event at the Jackets. It was like a season ticket holder event in uh, 2013. And I just went up to Bob McElligot with like such, <laughs> I like with such confidence. And I was like, hi, Mr. McElligot, my name's Elaine. And like, <laughs> I just like basically like made it known that I wanted to talk to him and get career advice. And he was so wonderful about it. And he was like, you should, you know, keep your eye on the AAA Blue Jackets, which is like the tier one elite um, organization down there um, where, uh, Connor Murphy and Trent Vogelhuber, Jack Rosvick, where they came from. Okay. <clears throat> and I started following them on Twitter because I'm like, like Ed Ginger is the program director. I started following him on Twitter and then they said they needed an intern for communications. So I just reached out to him. And next thing I know, I'm going with the 2001 to Quebec City to cover the Quebec City tournament, which they ended up winning. Wow. <laughs> so it just kind of took off from there. And then for some reason, I moved to Oregon. <laughs> Still was covering the jackets for this one little site. And when I moved back, um, I wanted to cover, cover them still, but I was living in Akron again. So Cleveland and Akron are about 40 minutes away from each other. Okay. And they were like, well, there's an opening to cover, um, for the hockey writers to cover the, the monsters will give it some time. Maybe we can get you credentialed. And in the process, I also started covering the Buffalo Buttes of the NWHL in their first season. Right. Took a backseat to, I did that more because I felt like with, at the time I was working in retail and their games were on Sundays. So I was able to take the time off 
more to go cover them than the monsters, even though the monsters were like <laughs> like 40 minutes away from me. I was traveling three hours there and three hours back on a Sunday to cover the buttes. Wow. <laughs> um, and then I got credentialed after the Calder Cup season and I stopped covering the women's hockey because that would just be too much. And then my uncle um, paid me to quit my job until I found a job, a day job that would allow me to cover the monsters consistently and work on my writing. And that's kind of how I started really going full goal into the beat writing. I still have to have a, a day job to uh, supplement my income, but sure. it's a lot easier to work with than working in retail. Now, when you're doing the job as a woman, do you find like you're having to prove yourself? Do you, do you find like people second guess you or, or maybe, you know, don't give you enough credibility? Uh, th- that you're still trying to earn that or have have you had that experience? Um, not because I'm a woman. Um, I, I know that some women have had issues with people discounting their opinion because they're a woman, mm-hmm. but I, um, it's only because I'm not known and I write for an AHL team. And when people want the opinion, they want the Aaron Ports lines, the Brian Hedgers, the Allison Lucans, because they work for the athletic and the dispatch. And those are a little bit, um, People tend to trust that more. They're more out there. So um, I had to fight hard for people to get to know my opinion. And honestly, um, a lot of people took me under their wing over these past four seasons. Like scouts taught me how to take note, different ways to take notes so I could see the game differently. Um, <clears throat> I've picked up a really good friend and mentor from a parent <laughs> of a player um, who saw something in me and thought I saw the game well. And we started talking about the game and now he's like my best friend. <laughs> so um, I, I haven't had any issues. And sometimes I feel bad saying that because I want <laughs> these women who, who do have these issues to feel. Sometimes I think people don't believe them because people like me are like, no, I have zero issues with being a woman in the sport. But I mean, I've seen it. I've seen other women just get teared down about their opinions just solely because they're a woman. Mm-hmm. Where if I get teared down about my opinion, it's usually because someone doesn't, it's just, they don't know who I am. They don't know that I'm actually a beat reporter. I don't have the little blue check mark. They look at me and they're like, ah, she's just some random fan, you know? Right. Um, but a lot of men have opened a lot of doors for me and a lot of men have really built me up. Um, and everything that I received, uh, criticism wise has been for nothing but good for me. Like none of it has been personal. None of it has been based on my appearance or who I am. It's all been based on making me a better beat reporter and a better person. And um, I mean, I am so, so thankful for that because not a single person is giving me criticism for the most part is giving me criticism to tear me down. They are, they want me to be better. So I wish more women would have that. Well, no question about that. And, and it's funny, <laughs> you're almost looking for adversity just so you can say that, yeah, <laughs> yes, I've experienced that as well, but you haven't to this point. That's great. Um, does, is that the same with, with players and coaches as well, that they, they don't look at you differently uh, as uh, any of your male counterparts? Well, I think, um, I, I mean, we don't really get to see much of the players. Like, I, I mean, I have a day job. I work 40 to 58 hours a week. So I don't get to go to practice and literally just in the rink on game day. And it's usually like two hours before the game. And then, you know, after the game, writing the article. So I don't, I don't really get to create those relationships with the players uh, like most people do. And and neither does my counterpart 
beat reporter Jeff Schladell, who is a newspaper writer in this area for the News Herald, but he covers every single pro team and and high school teams and mentors. So <laughs> he's got the big four, he's got the big three and then the monsters and then all the high school stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's not around either. So I feel like they keep us on the same playing level, I think, because they don't really know us that well. Right. Um, but, you know, the coaches try to get to know us, which is nice. Like John Madden was just so great. Um, he acknowledged us a lot. And sometimes I would like tweet at him and say like, you know, coach Madden and, you know, put his handle in, in the Twitter and be like, this is what makes him a great coach. This is what makes him a good man, stuff like that. And I didn't know if he actually read his tweets. And then one day at the end of the season, he was like, I thank you for all the kind words you said about me this summer, this, this season on Twitter. And I was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you actually, okay, cool. And, and he, you know, people forget that these players and coaches, they watch, they see everything that people put on Twitter a lot. And um, I think, you know, that's where they start to build their relationships at first is seeing what people say and then decide whether to take their wall up or down. I like, but like I said, I wish I had more chances to get to, to know them better, especially this new coach, Mike Eves, because he has some serious like dad energy with like his good, right? Like he has good advice that for players that turns into life advice for me. Um, you know, he, at the beginning of the season, he said in um, media day about how, you know, you get to decide how you're going to react and how you're going to live your life. And that falls on you. And he was talking about in the sense of hockey. <laughs> um, but like I took that to heart because it's true. And then around New Year's Eve, he had said something along the lines of, you know, the shift by shift mentality is that we all make mistakes. It's how we react from them. And I was like, OK, that's cool. <laughs> like great and then just recently I was actually having a really bad day at work and then a bad day at the game and the team didn't play well and he dropped this whole line about how you know even we have bad days and we just want to stay in our bed all day and I was like I feel that (laughs) (laughs) so I would love to get to know him better because he seems like an all-around great person well, that's great. Elaine, listen, I really appreciate your time, and, and uh, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Uh, I look forward to uh, reading more of your stuff uh, through SB Nation, uh, covering the uh, the Cleveland Monsters for the canon, uh, and following you on Twitter. Again, that's at I'm a Rain Dancer on Twitter. I hope, we, uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you again. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I'll talk to you later then. That was Elaine Shercliffe uh, covering the Cleveland Monsters, the uh, farm club for the Columbus Blue Jackets, an update on, well, specifically on a couple of guys who uh, have pretty direct ties here to uh, the Edmonton area with uh, Dylan Simpson and Trey Fix-Wolanski, both of them having a, well, Simpson definitely having a fantastic year for him, a career season for him as a pro, and uh, Fix-Wolanski playing well, but missed a a couple of months of the season, his uh, rookie season uh, with the Monsters, and that's unfortunate for him, but uh, good to see that he is uh, playing well now that he's uh, back and playing healthy. We don't talk enough American Hockey League, and uh, maybe that's something I'll try to uh, fix here uh, the rest of uh, Season 15 and moving forward uh, with the show. If you want me to talk more American Hockey League, uh, let me know, and I can get Elaine on again and uh, some other uh, AHL scribes that I follow on Twitter uh, that I can bring on the show. If uh, that is something that you, the listener, would like, uh, please let me know. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. 
Next up, uh, joining us uh, via the Troubled Monk hotline, uh, we will head back to the uh, Western Hockey League, and uh, my guest will be Mary Gates. She is the Director of Communications for the Tri-City Americans. What does that mean? Get to know what her job is all about and her experiences uh, working in a uh, very male-dominated hockey atmosphere, especially in the Western Hockey League. Although, interestingly enough, the way she describes the Tri-City Americans, maybe they're a bit ahead of their time. I'll let her tell you about that next, here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, it's Michael Rasmussen and the Tri-City Americans. Collected by Elkison, thrown away, Sandu. Slot, Rasmussen, he scores! A natural hat-trick! In the first American hat-trick in three years. How about that? And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. We are back on the Pipeline Show. We're going to continue on with our uh, month of uh, speaking with women in hockey. It's an in the dub segment as well. This one brought to you by our friends at dubnetwork.ca. Stay up to date on everything happening around the world of the Western Hockey League. Uh, bookmark it. Subscribe to get your daily dose of the dub at dubnetwork.ca. My guest today, the Director of Communications for the Tri-City Americans. Her name is Mary Gates. Mary, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, and thanks for doing this feature throughout the month of February, featuring different women throughout the sport, too. And that's really cool. Well, I appreciate that. And and uh, I, I just wanted to get a different perspective on things, because uh, most of my guests are, are men, but the uh, women that I do get on on a regular basis always bring another uh, level and another perspective to the show, so I wanted to do that more, uh, and I think there's interesting stories out there. First, let's talk a little bit about the hockey, and uh, you're with the Tri-City Americans. Obviously, uh, uh, the season hasn't gone as according to plan, and or maybe it has. Uh, at the start of the year, I think a lot of people expected the, the Americans would be out of the playoffs. I know I actually picked the Americans to be in the playoffs, but now just kind of playing out the string, and what's, what's the mood like around the team right now as you kind of uh, start... Uh, getting experience for next season at this point? Uh, obviously, it's been a pretty tough season. You want to be winning. You see our coaches and our players working hard every day. And so it's frustrating not getting those wins for them and for everyone. But there's so much looking forward to. Like we have such strong prospects coming up. We've had you know, a few different AP players come up. We, um, you know, having Rhett Melnick come up and join our team. We'll have Jake Sloan joining us this week throughout our trip through the central division and those are extremely talented players that we're going to be hearing from for years to come in the league and so while we're not in the position we want to be in now I think everyone on the team realizes what's coming and there's a lot of excitement looking forward to that. Mary in your position your role uh, as the communications director for the team uh, you get to know the players on a different level than certainly fans do and even broadcasters do and for that part, I, I'm not as close, you know, with the Edmonton Oil Kings as as uh, the, the people who work for the team are certainly. 
What strikes you about the the guys that come through the WHL, come through uh, Kennewick, Washington to play for the Americans? Is there did you have a preconceived notion of what the the players would be like that's different than what it is in reality now that you've got to know them? I think so. I grew up watching WHL hockey, and some of the time I was really young, so you always have this idolized vision of what these players are like. Mm-hmm. And once I got working with them, I I really realized they're such sweet, humble kids almost I want to call them all so you know they grow up and they're older but you get them from the time they're so young you really do see them as kids it's hard sometimes when you have a Mark Lajoie who's 6'4 and 220-ish pounds something like that and Jaden Platt's another big guy Brian McAndrews I mean these are giants but they're also kids and they look like men yet you got to realize there's still some of them 17 18 years old yeah I mean you see them are in the hallway doing goofy things throughout the day, but yeah. it's also always so impressive and striking to me like how professional and mature they are while still being like that young age kids. Um, after the trade deadline, we went through all of that, you know, trading our captain, Kyle Olsen and Beth Warm, who I can't even describe to you like what type of leader he was to our team. Uh, and you see Sashi Mattel and Connor Bouchard step up in this position that's, you know, very sudden for them to, be younger guys having to lead this team in a position they really hadn't had to be in to that extent before. Mm-hmm. And their ability to do that is very impressive. So, oh, That's a great point. Uh, and certainly uh, Beckworms fit in well with the Oil Kings. Uh, so is uh, uh, Sam Stewart. And, uh, of course, we've uh, enjoyed uh, having um, uh, Riley Sawchuck all, all season long leading the team in scoring. Right, yeah. uh, three guys who were a big Beck piece. and Riley are actually really good friends. When they were in Tri-Cities, they were Billet brother, so it was oh, kind of yeah. nice to kind of move back getting to see him go back and be with Riley Sawcheck was kind of cool. Nice. Um, who's the arch rival for the Tri City Americans uh, as a, as a hockey team? Maybe the fan base would feel that way too, but uh, from a hockey perspective, who's the the arch rival? Is it Spokane? I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right when we say Spokane. That goes back before decades before any of our players or anything. It's really Spokane, but so much over the years. From our players' perspective, we've been so competitive with Everett. Yeah, right. Growing so that rivalry is growing so much, especially with you know the Western Conference Final two years ago. All of that that's pretty there. But Spokane is just has the history with Spokane is so deep that that will always be number one there. So well, it's funny when you look at the the standings in the U.S. Division. There's really uh, it almost looks like the playoff format is is basically set almost in the entire uh, Western Conference. A couple. Uh, seedings maybe to figure out in the BC division but I mean most years you could talk about playing a spoiler role but it looks like the teams that are uh, above the uh, the Americans uh, in the division right now are kind of almost locked into position where they're going to be yeah uh, still when you, you get a chance to play against Spokane or Everett or Portland it's pretty easy to get up for those games isn't it yeah I think we still play Everett Everett like four times this year Spokane three more times this year, and I think Portland two more times this year. Like yeah. Our season is heavy loaded with games against them for the rest of those years. And you know, even in the position that we're in right now, like there's so much passion in those games. I really think you can see the boys show up for those games every day, and you never really know what's going to happen in those. Mary Gates is my guest. She's the Director of Communications with the Tri-City Americans of the Western Hockey League. Uh, Mary, tell me about the... Uh, the hockey culture in the state of Washington or the Pacific Northwest 
as a whole. It's not just the WHL. There's a, a BCHL team there as well. And um, so there is hockey there. But how strong of a grassroots sort of feel is there for the sport? Or is that still growing? The Pacific Northwest in general just has strong sports fans. Like They love sports. And hockey is a huge part of that. It is different than other parts, um, especially in Canada, of course, and even other parts of the United States where there are NHL teams. Like for me, I grew up in Oregon, and I never watched NHL hockey growing up, but I watched WHL hockey. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I followed the league very well, but there was no NHL teams around. And so until I saw it, um, I was going to college in Portland when the Winterhawks won the um, what was it, 2012 championship. Right. And so when, when I started, you know, watching NHL like more strictly and heavily when you see the players you watch in the WHL go up to that level, but it really does start at the Western Hockey League because, or, and um, like you said, the Wenatchee Wild is here as well. So there is a strong presence of junior hockey in Washington and with the Winterhawks in Portland. So it's significant, but it's, it, it definitely comes from that junior hockey level. And um, I think having NHL Seattle here is just really going to help grow what's already um, settled in the state. So it, was your first favorite team in the WHL actually the Portland Winterhawks? And do you have to keep that uh, a tight-lipped secret? No, I've actually always been an American fan. Oh, really? I'm not just <laughs> Yeah. So. Oh, well, that's funny. Um, now... What we've seen anywhere the NHL goes, it takes maybe 10 years or so, but we start seeing the grassroots uh, movement for hockey in those locations really start to develop. And, you know, it happened when Gretzky went to L.A. and suddenly there are two new NHL franchises there. And we're seeing it in Dallas and we're seeing it in Arizona where now we're seeing players coming from those markets. How long until we start seeing that a lot more from the state of Washington or even Oregon? I mean, I... I think it, ha- it might actually be sooner than we're thinking. Yeah. The WHL is doing such a good job of having a work, building a working relationship with NHL Seattle and really trying to increase recruiting to, to the States, which they've been doing for years. But you know, now we have um, the first WHL U.S. Challenge Cup that's being held this weekend in Kent. Mm-hmm. And then that and then the new um, U.S. draft coming up in March. And these are substantial efforts by the league to make that happen. And I think we'll be seeing like those players come up sooner than than we have in past expansions. There's already you know hockey established. There's already talented players growing, and as those efforts are being put in, it might not be ten years before we're seeing more of those guys in the Western Hockey League. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a head start already for the Pacific Northwest compared to Dallas and Arizona. Uh, and maybe even Vegas, uh, by example. Um, Mary, how'd you get into uh, where you are now? What's uh, let's talk about your career path a little bit. Uh, you mentioned you were going to school in in Oregon. Um, was that to, uh, to whatever you were taking there? Did that directly uh, relate to what you're doing now? Yeah. So um, I was studying digital media communication and PR, and I never really planned on getting working in sports. I was just a hockey fan. So I moved to Tri City after. I graduated college and I got in touch with the team and I was just like, Hey, like, can I kind of help you guys out with some stuff? And I really didn't plan on fully going down that path at the time, but I started doing some internship work with them for a couple years and I loved it. And I was just picking up more work with them and couldn't get enough. I was just involved and had all sorts of ideas and it really led to just the point where um, 
it became it was surprising but a clear decision that that's what I wanted to do with my career and I'm really enjoying it I would like to maybe work in the NHL someday and um we'll see I'm not in a hurry to move I <laughs> enjoy working with the team I enjoy working with the team now and I'm pretty committed to helping see growth with Americans over the next couple of years we've been doing well business-wise which is exciting I'm excited to be there be nice if we could get you guys a new rink. I know uh, Bob's been uh, looking to to do that, and I, I think there were renovations yeah. not that long ago as a sort of a happy medium. But um, no, I, when I want to get Bob Torrey on the show, or when I want to get Sasha Mutala or any other player, you're the person I called it to set that up. Outside of that, for the benefit of the audience that might not know the ins and outs, uh, what what does your uh, job entail? What do you do on a daily basis? Small office, so there's a lot of different varied parts of that but all of the hockey PR so you know you think press releases and media engagements which um, goes beyond just scheduling interviews um, I do that I do all of our social media um, I also do a lot of um, advertisement we do a lot of TV advertisement so scheduling all of that budgeting that also just a lot of PR getting our marketing out there and um, coming up with new promotions and ideas and trying to find ways to grow our business and our organization. When I look at, uh, and I've been, as I mentioned, I've been doing uh, chatting with uh, ladies in the sport uh, for the last uh, three or four weeks now uh, in the WHL. In fact, across the Canadian hockey league, the, the, the area where I find women the most involved with hockey is doing what you're doing in, in uh, communications with teams. Um, is there something about that specific job that fits well for ladies or is that kind of the job in hockey that uh, is maybe most accessible for, for ladies? Do you have a thought on that? I think working in on the business side of hockey is definitely the, the most accessible for women. But we, as we've seen like hockey, women's hockey growing over the past few years, like, I think you'll see a lot more women working in the hockey operations side of the business as well. I mean, you think about Olivia Howe working as a coaching assistant in Moose Jaw, and that's just one example of, of that. But as hockey continues to grow, I think we'll see it manifest as more and more women working in our league over the next decade, and that includes work, more women working in the hockey ops side. We see that a lot in the NCAA, which makes sense because women play NCAA hockey, and so that translates a lot more to them of working directly in that league. And um, I think we'll see that in the Western Hockey League as well it just takes time now at this point it's still a pretty male uh, dominated sport uh, on and off the ice as a woman have you had any hurdles that you've had to clear or do you find yourself having to prove your uh i don't know your legitimacy i don't know for lack of a better term but uh, that that you belong that you can do the job and uh, because you're it's not hockey operations that you're in but that doesn't mean that it's not a challenging job and it's uh, there might still be uh, guys out there, old school guys that uh, look down on a woman or something. Have you ran up against any obstacles like that? You know, I've had an incredibly positive experience in the Western Hockey League since I've been here. Our office is like very I mean, almost exclusively female outside of hockey ops and our broadca- uh, broadcaster, Craig West. And so I didn't realize like how male dominated the league was until I started traveling and I, I went to a lot of away games last year and I remember the first away game I went to I walk in the press box and there's a lot of people up there and none of them are women mm-hmm. and that was my first moment that I was like oh I don't you know I'm not don't, do I fit in here like I don't know I was a little nervous there was definitely nerves there and 
I traveled around the league more, did more of our away games, and I met more people. And it was really just nerves. Like nothing, I never had any negative experiences. Everyone has been so overwhelmingly friendly and um, inviting. And I really have felt part of the Western Hockey League community uh, early on. And But there are those nerves. And as I've traveled around the league, I have had a few different uh, women come up to me who are working in like internship positions. And they come up to me and say, oh, you know, it's nice to see another female up here. Like, I don't, there's no women that work in our office, or it's just so nice to see someone else. And when I talk to them, I hear the same thing from them, that they have like these initial nerves that make it kind of hard to put yourself out there and want to be in that position. Hmm. Um, So it's good to see that women come in and have an interest in that, but um, it can be intimidating for sure. Well, it's good to hear that your experiences personally have been very good and and maybe uh, people will hear that and, uh, maybe be encouraged to to give it a shot and get into uh, the sport a lot more. I agree with you. The the press boxes are uh, fairly void of of ladies. In fact, the only journalist I can think of was Annie Fowler, who was at right in Tri City, but she's not covering the team anymore because the paper's not uh, uh, running anymore. Um, at least that's my understanding. So uh, I'd like to see more female journalists uh, covering the sport uh, as well, but we don't have that. Uh, at the moment uh, around the WHL. Uh, Mary, uh, listen, I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, certainly wish the, the team the, the best of success uh, playing out the string here this year and uh, into next season. Thanks for doing this. Thank you very much. That was Mary Gates, the uh, Director of Communications for the Tri-City Americans of the uh, Western Hockey League. The uh, Americans were uh, on the road and in Swift Current, and that's where she joined me from. Um, yesterday and the Americans uh, with a big victory uh, over the Broncos in that one and uh, the media person for the teams doesn't often travel uh, on the road but but I spoke with her before we started recording the interview and said she uh, definitely wanted to tag along for this trip that they're on now 5-1 the final yesterday in Swift Current uh, that one in favor of the Tri-City Americans interested to hear your thoughts on uh, some of the stuff we talked about whether you know, that role for hockey teams is, uh, I think it's becoming more and more uh, populated by uh, females, which I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. I don't think it matters, really. Uh, but I wonder if it's the most accessible uh, job uh, within hockey for ladies. I mean, there's not a, we had Olivia Howe on, as she mentioned, and that's great. Uh, there's a coach now, but there's not a ton of those coaches uh, out there that are, you know, breaking down the door and forcing their way into uh, coaching male hockey. I did have a conversation uh, via uh, text messages with another female coach that's coaching in U Sports that is coaching on a men's team. Um, so it, it, it's starting, but I wonder how long until we see, you know, on the bench coaches, maybe head coaches. I'd still like to see uh, ladies doing color or broadcasting uh, and doing play-by-play. But listen, I understand it's the guys who have played, and uh, quite often color analysts are former players. I I understand that. I just like having a different voice uh, sometimes in the broadcast instead of just all guys all the time. Anyway, one more week to go in the uh, in the month, and so not that I'm going to stop talking to women after February, but uh, two more ladies lined up for next week's show already. Uh, one covering the Ontario Hockey League or working actually within the OHL, and another uh, south of the border who you have heard on the Pipeline Show over the years uh, several times uh, talking college hockey with uh, her next week. I'll tell you who those uh, ladies are at the end of uh, today's episode. But up next, 
We will uh, continue. We'll stick in the WHL, but huge news this week in the dub with the Kelowna Rockets hosting the Memorial Cup, firing their head coach a, w- a month before the end of the regular season. Larry Fisher, he uh, is in Kelowna. He's going to join me next. Set the stage and uh, tell us what's happening in the Okanagan right now. That's next here on the Pipeline Show. Hi, this is Luke Shun of the Kelowna Rockets. Hey, it's Madison Bowie. Miles Bell. Nick Merkley. Hey, I'm Leon Dreisaitl. Hey, it's Tyson Bailey. This is Mitch Wheaton. Hi, this is Tyrell Goldburn from the Kelowna Rockets, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Rocket man, Ready to play a little hooky? Cut out early and enjoy great Western Hockey League action with Hockey Hooky this Tuesday at Rogers Place. Kick your day into overdrive with the Edmonton Oil Kings this Tuesday morning for an 11 a.m. puck drop against the Winnipeg Ice. You're not going to want to miss this. Oil Kings. Ice. Hockey Hooky this Tuesday at 11. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. We are back on the Pipeline Show, and we're going to have another In the Dub segment with uh, breaking news here this week. Uh, big news out of Kelowna as uh, the Kelowna Rockets hosting the Memorial Cup have now gunned another coach, uh, Adam Foote, out. From the outside looking in, looks uh, a little chaotic. Of course, all of the uh, WHL segments here on the Pipeline Show brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. Stay up to date on the Western Hockey League by bookmarking uh, dubnetwork.ca on your uh, browser and you can subscribe and get your daily dose of the dub my uh, guest today to speak about everything happening in Kelowna is Larry Fisher from the Hockey Writers uh, Larry welcome back to the Pipeline show how are you I'm doing good thanks for having me Keith. no problem uh, from the outside looking in it looks like chaos uh, from the, where you are in Kelowna is the sky falling or is everything going to be okay well you know, Bruce Hamilton's been as calm as he can be in, under this situation, but the fan base, the sky is falling, the, the fan base is panicking, and I think, you know, people asked, the question was asked to Bruce Hamilton uh, in the press conference whether this was a panic move, and then he kind of laughed it off and said, that's your opinion, and in my opinion, it wasn't a panic move, but it was very much a desperation move. The, the season's off the rails. Everything that could have went wrong for the Kelowna Rockets has gone wrong starting with Lassie Thompson going back to Finland. You know, you get an import draft pick, not reporting. You, the players you targeted uh, to put this team over the top, they're not living up to expectations. Uh, and then the injuries. I mean, uh, that's an excuse. That's whatever. But it is largely to blame for their lack of success lately. Uh, you're missing a, a bunch of key guys, starting with your captain and best goal scorer, Nolan Foote. So I think... Uh, it got to the point where Bruce Hamilton felt he had to do something. And as general manager, the trade deadline, you know, a month gone now, there's not much else you can do other than try and change up the voice in the room and make that coaching change. So I feel it was a, a desperation move more than a panic move, even though the fan base was very much panicking, very much turning on the coaching staff and, and trying to pressure this decision. But I think, you know, again, Bruce Hamilton's been around the game plenty long enough to to tune out the outside noise, but deep down, I think he realized uh, it was now or never to make the coaching change, and the team is desperate for a, a new voice and just really a, a, sh- a shock, a jolt in the arm. And for me, I think uh, coaches 
get fired sometimes on their own. You know, it's a they're they're not coaching to their level that the general manager hoped. But also, when you fire a coach, it kind of sends a message to the players because oftentimes it's the players' performance that gets the coach fired. And I think it's a bit of both here in Kelowna, but definitely a, a desperation move and, a, like I said, a very chaotic time here in Kelowna. Uh, what is this now? The fourth coach in the last five years, something like that. Brad Ralph, Jason Smith, uh, Adam Foot, and now it's uh, Chris Mallette. So a lot of coaches in a fairly short uh, time span. Uh, is this the right fit now? Is Chris Mallette? He's been on the bench for the last number of years. Um, if you're looking for a new voice, uh, do you go with somebody on the bench already? Well, again, I think you're you're past the three quarter mark of the season. Yeah, there's only 14 games left. I think it would be impossible to bring in somebody from the outside who's going to try and implement a new system on they already got you know half the roster is new this season they're still trying to learn the Adam foot system uh and then to bring in somebody from the outside and try and overhaul everything with 14 games left and you look at that schedule it's a daunting schedule it's 10 division games and and the other games aren't easy either you got Everett twice Seattle which is going to be a huge game uh two weeks from Next, not two Fridays from now. That's going to be a massive home home game for Kelowna, and and then you got Lethbridge the next night that same weekend. So besides that, it's all division games. It's, I think it was just too tough to bring in a, another outside person who hasn't been around the team. And, and again, they've tried that twice now by going and getting the big name. Uh, maybe they didn't have the the coaching experience in Jason Smith and Adam Foot, but they brought in big name NHL guys, and it hasn't worked. And maybe the the right guys been under Bruce Hamilton's nose all along in Chris Millette. He certainly paid his dues. This is his sixth season on the staff. And, and you know, he's a, a really respected guy that he's not a big name, so people don't know who Chris Millett is. But if you get to know him and you talk to him, uh, he comes off as a really sharp, sharp guy and, and very knowledgeable in the game of hockey. And I think uh, at the same time, he, he said it in his press conference, he's fun but fair. And he is maybe a, a little looser, a little more fun. And, and you got to change that a bit from an assistant coach to a head coach. you got to take more command where you can be kind of the the fun guy as an assistant coach, but I think Chris Millett's got the right demeanor to step in. And in my opinion, he stepped up to the plate and hit it out of the park in his debut scrum. He said all the right things. And I mean, uh, he had as good of a day one as he could possibly have. And we'll see what, how he fares, but he's in a real tough spot just based on how difficult the schedule is. And the fact that you look at the standings, they're essentially locked into a wild card spot now, unless they go on some crazy run and win 12 of their last 14 games which nobody's expecting, especially injuries continue to linger forward. There's uncertainty with Nolan Foote. But unless they go on a big run to end the regular season, they're in a wild card spot. They're going to face either Kamloops or Portland in the first round. And uh, again, that's uh, you don't want to say they're going to get swept, but it's going to be hard to win a game in, those, in that matchup, let alone a series. So Chris Millett's got his work cut out for him. He's in a tough spot, but I do think he was the, the right man for the job under the situation circumstances with being more than three-quarters of the way through the season. Larry Fisher from the Hockey Writers, my guest here on the Pipeline Show, right in Kelowna, watching the Rockets uh, on a uh, nightly basis. Uh, you mentioned the roster and uh, how much turnover there was with the roster from last year's club, and it started with that big deal in the offseason with, with Seattle. And, and listen, I think everybody knew Kelowna was in that position. They had to make changes. They had to improve the roster. If they didn't, Boy, there really be a lot of criticism for not doing enough. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I wonder, because there were so many changes, does it take a while for team chemistry to, to come around and for things to start clicking? And, and again, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But is that kind of the a part of the problem? 
too, is just so many new faces having to still come together. That's definitely part of the problem. And, and again, you just get one guy back and you lose another guy to injuries and not to continue you know, using the injury card as, as an excuse. But th- that is largely to blame is that, you know, even though we're in February and we're three past the three-quarter mark of the season, the reason this was a bit of a surprising decision, uh, I mean, obviously you look at the results, it's, it's not a surprise when you look at the records since the trade deadline and everything else. But it was surprising because everybody felt that this still was a wait-and-see mode where uh, Bruce Hamilton wanted to see what Adam Foote could get out of a full roster when they had all hands on deck and they were healthy and, and Adam Foote never got that opportunity because of, you know, it just kept going further and further off the rails as far as struggling as well as Bruce Hamilton felt underachieving with the, the talent that he did bring in. So uh, in my opinion, and, and that's why I wasn't necessarily expecting this decision because I felt it was uh, uh, everybody was in wait and see mode. Let's see what this team can do when they have their entire roster on the ice and and that just hasn't happened uh, since Halloween. And obviously, going back to Halloween when Kyle Topping broke his ankle, they didn't have Matthew Wedman. They didn't have Connor McDonald and you know guys like Jonas Paterik and Tyson Feist that were brought in at the deadline. They made so many changes, and they just, like you said, they haven't had time to gel. And that's definitely been a factor in the way uh, this season has played out. And, and as I mentioned, it's kind of been one of those everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, and, and that chemistry just hasn't been able to develop. According to this week's uh, uh, injury report from the WHL, uh, Sean Comrie's out week to week, Michael Farron out week to week, uh, Tyson Feist may be getting ready to come back, Liam Kindry out long term as well. What's the situation with Nolan Foote? Uh, I, I'm reading that uh, he, he came back but didn't finish the game against Calgary and is now out in New Jersey? Yeah, and he had just got back from Tampa Bay right before that game against Calgary or the week before, so... I don't know exactly what the nature of the injury is, but obviously it happened at the World Juniors. And, uh, you know, he only played a, a period against Kamloops in, in his first game back from the World Juniors on, on the trade deadline day, January 10th, and, and wasn't, you know, obviously wasn't feeling good there. And he's been rehabbing it for, I guess you could say, over a month now, month and a half. And uh, obviously uh, he tried it again, and it's, it's not progressing in the direction they want. So, this is a prized asset for New Jersey. They're gonna. They just made a big blockbuster trade to get him from Tampa Bay, and they want to get eyes on him and, and and get their own doctors looking and testing and 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 come to a decision. I mean, obviously, I think everybody knows the importance of the Memorial Cup and and all the rest for Kelowna and how much they desperately need Nolan Foot in their lineup. But at the same time, New Jersey's got to look to the future as well. And this is a guy that they just gave up uh, or they just acquired along with a first round pick for. A player who was a, you know, maybe not the biggest name in Blake Coleman, but a, a key guy from their roster, and they want Nolan Foot to be that key guy going forward. So you don't want to jeopardize his future beyond this season by making him continue to play through a, you know, if it is a potentially serious injury or something that's going to require surgery after the Memorial Cup, and then he misses, you know, most of or half of next season. New Jersey might not want that. They might not want that risk, and uh, perhaps he ends up getting shut down with some type of. Uh, season-ending surgery, but the fact he was so close and had been given the green light to return, I think uh, the Memorial Cup's in May, right? So I think he's got a lot of time to rehab, and I would expect we see Nolan Foot uh, back on the ice. I don't think he's played his final game in a Rockets jersey, but there is a, a bit of concern over his health going forward and what the doctors decide coming out of New Jersey. Well, and I wonder if the silver lining in, in the situation right now for the Rockets, as you mentioned, it's Portland or Kamloops in the first round, they, the Rockets will definitely be underdogs in that series. Let's assume for uh, the moment that they uh, are eliminated in the first round. 
Well, then you've got a lot of time before the Memorial Cup. And the silver lining that I'm talking about is everybody gets to uh, work their way back to being 100% healthy. I think we saw that not that long ago with another host team uh, out of the WHL. Uh, but, I mean, in a situation like that, maybe maybe Nolan Foote doesn't play another regular season game, but he's back in 100% in time for the Memorial Cup, along with you know three or four other guys who are, are on the shelf right now. Yeah, that would be the hope to... To get healthy, well, the real hope is to to start winning some games and and you know pull an upset in the first round or certainly you know push hard and it's not unprecedented like you said for the host team to lose in the first round of their league playoffs. It's happened uh, almost every second year lately. It seems it's happened a few times in the last decade anyway. So that uh, especially with the way the season's gone, it, it wouldn't be a huge surprise. And they certainly will be heavy underdogs whether they face Kamloops or Portland. But I do think you're right that. Uh, all roads lead to May this year and everybody will forget how bad this season was and how many injuries they had. And even if they get swept in the first round, nobody will remember that if this team can get healthy and, and the pieces Bruce Hamilton brought in all of a sudden, everything clicks in May and they come out and win, you know, five games, four games, five games in, in a matter of 10 days and you're Memorial cup champions. And if, if that happens, you know, Bruce Hamilton's a hero, uh, Nolan foot, hopefully will be the hero. And, 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 you know, nobody remembers the the decisions that were made throughout this season and the struggles that they had. But uh, to get to that point, is it's almost hard to envision based on where they are today that yeah. it's such a it's such a road ahead. And then, like I said, everything that has gone wrong or everything that could go wrong has gone wrong so far. And I, I just it's hard to envision this team coming together. You know, I do think Chris Millette has been an underdog his whole career. I think he uh you know, wasn't a big name NHL guy. And I think he's the kind of underdog to rally the underdog team. And I think he will have an impact on this roster and, and, and perhaps get a little bit more out of certain guys and, and help push this team forward and take a step. But again, I look at that schedule. It's a really tough schedule to, to finish the regular season. And how do you get the confidence, the positivity and stuff going? Because if you lose 10 to 14 down the stretch and you get swept in the first round, even if you're fully healthy going in the Memorial Cup, that mental part of and again, the, the online backlash, everything else going into that Memorial Cup under those circumstances is going to be, you know, Kelowna didn't deserve to host. Kelowna's going to embarrass the league, whatever they, people are saying. You know, it's going to be hard for the players to, to block that out and, and to actually believe in themselves that this full roster, even if they all get healthy for the Memorial Cup, can go in there as the underdog and, and come out as the champion. So it, it's a long road to get to there, and it's going to be a big mental hurdle, but that's why I say first things first, you'd love to get a, a split or, or even a sweep in Victoria. Certainly you need to come out of there with one point this weekend, uh, even if it's a loser point. Uh, you got to get some positivity going, some momentum going, and build off that as players start coming back into the lineup and, and hopefully have as many back as possible for that first-round matchup. Speaking of the Memorial Cup and the, the hosting, uh, the the whole bid process, uh, uh, there was pretty lively discussion about that yesterday uh, on uh, Twitter, on social media. And, uh, you you made some good points though, and, and listen off the ice. I think the Memorial Cup is going to be a success for Kelowna on the ice. As you just said, it's hard to imagine this team uh, uh, suddenly turning things around and and being you know a, a contending team. Uh, and that said, when you've got Kamloops and Lethbridge, the uh, second best team in each conference, who are also bidding, how does this look for the the, the WHL? Is this a black eye? Do we need to re-examine how? Uh, we award the Memorial Cup, or is it all about business and it's going to be financially and off the ice successful in Kelowna, and that's what matters more? 
Yeah, whether it's the Black Eye for the WHL or the CHL, uh, they awarded the Memorial Cup back in not this past October, but the previous October. That's a long way out, uh, you know. At that time, Kelowna was struggling. They were just about to make the coaching change from Jason Smith to Adam Foot, but I think the league had a lot of confidence in in Bruce Hamilton to get the right pieces in place and and to be able to build this you know competitive, if not contending, roster. Uh, and again, I think. Uh, I've said I've keep saying everything that's gone wrong has gone wrong, but nobody expected Kelowna to miss the playoffs last season. Nobody expected Lassie Thompson to bail out and go back home to play pro in Finland when he had the opportunity to play for the Memorial Cup host team as a you know fairly high first round NHL draft pick. Uh, so there's been things like that along the way that have really changed the complexion as to what it was the day that the Rockets were awarded the bid. And again, just if this team had barely any injuries or been healthy all season. You know, Kyle Popping doesn't go down, Nolan Foot, uh, Matthew Wedman's missed a month in there as well. He said Sean Comrie, another guy they brought in through the, the trade process. I, if this team had been healthy, I think they'd be right in that second, third range and in, in contending for the BC division. So I think, uh, but at the same time, it is a, a bit of a black eye for, for whether it's the CHL or, or the WHL, just because, they are underachieving and struggling so badly in the present that everybody's looking at this saying, how did you guys award Kelowna the Memorial Cup over Kamloops and Lethbridge, who have, you know, look at their rosters. They've mostly been healthy. Yeah, Lethbridge managed to play well while they had key guys away at the World Juniors, three of their top players. And, and Kamloops, though, didn't have anybody at the World Juniors, and they've basically been firing at all cylinders right since the preseason. So, Kamloops is having one of those everything that could possibly go right has gone right, other than Dylan Grand, uh, their goaltender, is currently hurt. But for the most part, everything's gone right in Kamloops. Everything's gone wrong in Kelowna. And Westbridge has had a, you know, a steady season as well and mostly healthy season. So I think uh, it's easy to kick Kelowna when they're down. It's easy to, you know, black eye, whatever you want to say right now. But, you know, there's been a lot of circumstances that have changed what we see today versus what uh, Bruce Hamilton was expecting to see and certainly what he presented to the the group that decided on Kelowna getting the Memorial Cup. I'm going to put on my uh, tinfoil hat for a second and uh, go with a conspiracy theory. Somebody mentioned to me or, or hypothesized to me that uh, Kelowna got the bid this year sort of as a thank you and a send-off for Bruce Hamilton and that the Rockets will be sold this offseason. Do you get any sense that there's any validity to that at all? Well, certainly the, the sale, maybe not so much. I think Bruce Hamilton's had offers over the years. He's enjoying, he's always enjoyed what he's done. This has obviously been a stressful season, and maybe he is considering stepping aside after this season. I have heard, uh, I've even heard that some former Rockets, kind of like how Kamloops has their ownership group, I've heard some people may buy in uh, former NHL alumni, retired NHL players, whatever the case may uh help get in on this team ownership and Bruce may take a, a step back in, in some regards. But in my opinion, the first part of that is absolutely accurate. And I've been calling it a, a legacy event for Bruce Hamilton uh, right since it was awarded that I felt that uh, this was a favor to Bruce Hamilton, a thank you to Bruce Hamilton and, and all the years service, you know, 30 years he's put into the WHL and, and served repeatedly as chairman of the board. And, you know, he puts in a lot of time into a role like that. So yeah, I think he, in a lot of ways, he did deserve this as a, as a legacy event, and you really hope for his sake. I know a lot of people maybe are anti-Kelowna from the outside looking in, but here in town, you know, people are 
they want to rally around Bruce Hamilton too. And they would like to see Bruce Hamilton have that celebration or certainly at least a proud send off where his team, uh, doesn't go, get swept in the first round and loses all three games at the Memorial cup and, and go out in that fashion. They want to see, uh, you know, the team rally and, and, and everything for Bruce Hamilton and, and have him go out, uh, if not on top, go out with his head held high, knowing that, uh, he put the best product he could on the ice, and they were right there with the three league champions come the Memorial Cup. Uh, bottom line, we just want to see the WHL represented well by the champion and the host, uh, and uh, and that means the Rockets uh, have to perform better than they have here as of late, and hopefully that happens. Larry, great stuff. I uh, really appreciate uh, your uh, flexibility today, uh, scheduling this, and uh, w- with uh, the in-depth uh, opinions that you were able to share with us. Thanks for this, man. Yeah, thanks again, Geek, and uh, all the best down the stretch. It'll be interesting to see how this season plays out, but hopefully Clona can get it back on the rails, and uh, we'll see where we stand uh, come May, if, if not come uh, April when playoffs kick in. Okay, thanks, pal. Okay, thanks a lot. Larry Fisher from the Hockey Writers does a great job. I recommend you uh, follow him on Twitter, read his stuff. He does a lot of scouting stuff as well. Lo- loves putting lists together, and they're always compelling lists. If you're an NHL fan, he's got a, a list of uh, trade bait players out there that was a, a fun little breeze uh, to go through as well. Uh, interesting scenario, though, with the Kelowna Rockets. And uh, thanks to Larry for breaking the things down and uh, really explaining it, giving a, a good perspective uh, from uh, on site there about what's happening with the Kelowna Rockets. At the end there, I mentioned, and I have been told, or at least it's a, it's a theory at least, that uh, the Rockets were awarded the Memorial Cup this year as a, uh, you know, a, kind of a send-off for Bruce Hamilton and that uh, the team will be sold this summer. But I don't know how legit that is or if that is just complete speculation and, and rumors. Um, but uh, Larry seemed to give it a, a little bit of credibility there. So we'll see. One more segment to go here on the, this week's episode. It'll be a 2020 draft spotlight my guest is Tucker Tynan, goaltender with the Niagara Ice Dogs, who suffered a r- really severe injury uh, in mid-December. You get an update on him on that and more next here on the Pipeline Show. Here's Perlini. Perlini loads it up and he scores! Hey, it's Brendan Perlini from Niagara Ice Dogs, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Ben Bishop. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Andy Green. Scores! And Ryan Miller were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I got a bad feeling about this. We are back on the Pipeline Show. We're going to end this week's episode with a 2020 draft spotlight segment, and uh, we're heading to the Ontario Hockey League uh, for this week's episode. Although my guest isn't in the OHL right now, he's in Chicago, back home after uh, well a pretty hellacious. Uh, Injury he sustained earlier this season. My guest is Tucker Tynan, goaltender with the Niagara Ice Dogs. Uh, Tucker, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you right now? 
Oh, I'm doing pretty good right now. How are you? I'm doing well. We'll obviously get to the injury and stuff, but uh, first off, uh, how difficult is it not to be ar- around the team as uh, the playoffs right around the corner and, and the Ice Dogs fighting to get into the postseason? It's got to be difficult not being able to uh, contribute. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely uh, really unfortunate, and especially you want to be there helping them fight for a spot, but it is what it is, and yeah. How was the season going for you uh, before the injury? Uh, I'm looking at the stats, and looked like everything was going pretty good. Goals against average, not the greatest, but the save percentage on a team where they are in the standings, a 9-10, pretty darn good. Yeah, I think I feel like it was a pretty good start to a rookie year, and I feel like things were only going to get better, you know what I mean? So it's unfortunate that that happened, but it is what it is. Tell me about your first little bit in the OHL. Was it a, a tough transition for you to get used to playing in the Ontario Hockey League? Uh, not really. Actually, I really liked how it was really offensive, like a lot of mm-hmm. odd men rushes, and usually goalies wouldn't like that, but there's always action, and yeah, I like that's what I took from my time so far. Okay, being away from home, though, wasn't a problem for you? You didn't feel like you were a stranger in a strange land or anything like that? No, no, definitely not. They definitely make you feel really welcome. Okay, good. Obviously, we have to talk about the injury. And, uh, you know, I'm always curious. You hear a lot of players, uh, whether whatever sport it is, when they have a, a, a pretty bad injury, sometimes they don't even want to look at the replay or anything like that. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I've seen it a bunch of times. Okay. For people who are hearing this interview that have never even heard of uh, Tucker Tyne and don't know anything about the injury, can you kind of uh, go back and, and uh, tell people what happened? Um, Yeah, we were playing uh, London, and I think one of their players was driving the net and just kind of got tied up with, one of, one, of, with uh, one of our players and kind of just kind of crashed into the net a little bit and just kind of really unlucky, unfortunate what happened. and. His skate kind of just got caught up in my leg, and yeah, pretty much. And high, uh, like above your kneecap, right? Uh, in, in your thigh area? Yeah. Uh, and obviously, that pretty significant injury uh, you haven't played since. How long? When was the actual injury? How long has it been since you played? Um, it happened, I think, mid-December. It's been Mid-December. Probably a few months. Yeah, a few months. Yeah, it's been a couple months then and uh, i mean immediately everybody all the trainers jumping on the ice and it was obviously a very very serious situation it had to have been scary yeah i mean for sure it was but i knew i was in good care so it was definitely reassuring um uh, tell me about what it was like for the the team and everybody kind of rallied around you and the, the support you got from everybody what that meant to you and, and it must have been scary for your family as well yeah i think the support definitely helped a lot and it's yeah, it's kind of a time where just everyone kind of comes together, and obviously, it, I feel like uh, it turned out pretty good, like injury-wise. Hopefully, be back pretty soon, and yeah. Well, that's interesting and exciting. Uh, do you expect you can get back to playing? I don't know where you are in your recovery and your rehab process and stuff, but could you yeah. be back on the ice and playing by the end of the year? I'm not sure about the end of the year. Hopefully, uh. Hopefully I'll be back there by the end of the year. I don't know if I'll be playing, but I think I'll should be good to full time within a month, month and a half. Oh, okay, great. Well, then it wouldn't be for the regular season for sure. And yeah. um, so, I mean, what's the what's the uh, the long term prognosis? It, uh, you expect a, a full one hundred percent recovery, and you know, yeah. you'll be good to go next next season. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh well, that's great. Uh, this obviously, uh, well, I'm speaking with Tucker Tynan, goaltender with the Niagara Ice Dogs, and uh, it, it's a big year for you. It's your NHL draft season, and you know, you were having such a good start to the year. 
that's got to be a, a, a tough blow mentally, not just physically, but an injury like this that basically wipes out your season in a big year like this. How do you deal with that from a mental uh, perspective? Yeah, you know, it's definitely unfortunate, but you just got to come back and work even harder for next year and just see where what happens. All right, well, uh, Tucker, let's uh, talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you, I mentioned you're in Chicago. Is that where you're born? Yeah. Do you remember how old you were when you first started playing hockey? Oh, uh, I think I started playing player when I was like eight, I believe. Okay, and did you start off right away as a goaltender, or when did you make that move? No, uh, I think I started playing goalie when I was like nine or ten. What excited you about playing in the position? Uh, no idea. To be honest, I just kind of I like the gear. Uh, that's that. Listen, that's funny that you say that because a lot of the goalies that I talk to, that's what they say. It was getting to put on the pads or the glove or the helmet. And uh, and that was part of the attraction. So it's funny that that you shared that. Um, when you uh, you know we look now and you, you, I'm sure you have a paint job in your helmet or anything. Anything significant about what's on your mask? Uh, no, not really. I think I just got whatever like uh, our equipment manager ordered for me. Okay, <laughs> so you didn't really per- personalize it or anything like that. No. Uh, you were drafted by the uh, Niagara Ice Dogs, tenth round pick back in uh, 2018. Uh, at that point, uh, did you know much about the Ontario Hockey League? As an American, uh, I imagine you you might have been considering going the college route or something. Uh, what did uh, being drafted by Niagara mean to you? Uh, yeah, I feel like it definitely gave me a really good opportunity, and it was just a really good organization, and it's a really good league for developing, so I thought that was a really good way to go. I'm looking at your uh, your uh, bio page at EliteProspects.com. It so, shows that you played in Oakland uh, the, with the Junior Grizzlies as a Bantam. Is that Oakland, California? No, Michigan. Oh, in Michigan. Okay, and that's also where uh, the Little Caesars program is. Uh, and then you played in New Jersey last year? Yeah, yeah. So, man, you moved all over the place to play hockey. So moving to, I guess, to the Ontario Hockey League, not that big of a deal. You're not a stranger to moving around. Uh, why moving ar- around so much uh, in your career? Oh, uh, I think it's just like a lot better opportunities like like elsewhere like chicago there's decent hockey but i think if you want to get uh noticed a lot more i feel like there's a lot of other places Uh, outside of chicago yeah i understand what you're saying yeah what number are you wearing in uh, niagara uh i was wearing a number one any uh was that a by choice or like your mask Uh, was it whatever they gave you no i think it's just like kind of like a regular goalie number you know like Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're killing me, man. You're making me work for this one. <laughs> Sorry. You're not a you're not a big talker. Oh, a little bit. You know, and then. <laughs> All right. Uh being a Chicago guy, Blackhawks fan or Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean especially uh when they were winning the cup, yeah. Well, you can't be a fair weather fan, you gotta stick with them whether they're winning or not, don't you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Tucker, listen, I certainly uh, wish you the uh, speedy recovery. Uh, best luck, uh, whatever happens uh, the rest of this season with your, your training and your rehab and uh, uh, whatever happens at the draft. And good luck next season uh, once you get back to playing. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Okay. There is uh, Tucker Tynan of the Niagara Ice Dogs. Uh, I talked to a lot of players on this show over the last uh, 15 seasons. A lot of 16, 17, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, sometimes they are really well-spoken. Sometimes you can tell it's like their first interview. Uh, Tucker, uh, not a man of uh, many words. A man of few words, as they say. 
I appreciate him making the time. And you know what? I, I, there was part of me that said I, maybe I should edit parts of that out. But at the same time, that's his personality. That's him. I don't want to. I don't want to change him. I don't want to change what he is. I I do have scouts, NHL scouts, NHL teams that listen to this show and listen to these segments with players. I I actually kind of think it would be almost like lying if I edited it to make it sound different. Um, so I didn't. I left it in there. And uh, yeah, I, I listen. I was joking. I said you're killing me, man. Uh, sometimes uh, the uh, they can be. More challenging interviews than other times. Uh, that one was a bit more of a challenge. Intriguing player, though. Before he got hurt, man, he was having a really good season there in Niagara. So uh, he was one that uh, I was personally intrigued by this year. I really uh, hated to see the injury. You never want to see injury to anybody, but that was a particularly scary one for sure. Glad to hear that he is uh, expected to be 100% back to normal in time for next season. That's for sure. And that is going to wrap up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. I want to thank all four of the guests that you heard from that joined me via the Troubled Monk Hotline. As I'm speaking with you right now, it's a very early afternoon on a Thursday. I'm about to go and leave and pick up my son from school. So usually at the end of the show, I would crack open a Troubled Monk and enjoy the fruits of my labors, so to speak. Uh, but because I'm about to drive, I'm not going to do that. Uh, do not drink and drive. Don't be a knob. Enjoy your troubled monk responsibly. And the next time you're down in Red Deer, stop by the tap room, which I'm going to do in about 10 days' time. I am uh, looking very much forward to that visit uh, coming up. Also, thanks to all the patrons who have signed up at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. You get early access for a couple of bucks a month, automatically uh, set up uh, via your credit card. I don't see your credit card numbers. It's all handled by PayPal and Patreon. Uh, but if you want to have early access uh, to these interviews, like the one I did with Elaine, I actually uh, spoke with her on Monday, and uh, today it's Thursday. So that interview has been available to patrons for three days already. And that happens every week. So if you'd like early access, check out patreon.com slash show and see if it's a fit for you. Next week on the show, will I have two guests uh, for sure already lined up, two more women in hockey that I'm going to... Uh, that I'm looking forward to speaking with. Uh, one is Sarah Jean Mayer. I think it's pronounced Mayer. It might be Mahar. But uh, I'm going to speak with SJ on... Uh, I'm slated to speak with her on Monday. So again, early access. You'll be able to... Uh, all the patrons will be able to hear that interview uh, for uh, three or four days before the actual full episode comes out. But we'll talk OHL with uh, Sarah as she works for the league. Uh, also going to be speaking with uh, Paula Weston from USCHO. She covers the Big Ten Conference, and we'll talk to her about uh, that. She's been on the show uh, several times, uh, dating way back, probably like season three-ish uh, of the Pipeline show. So uh, good to have her back on the show again. I do have a 2020 Draft Spotlight guest uh, lined up, but I don't want to jinx it. I've been chasing this player for about three or four weeks, maybe a month. I have gotten no help from the team that he plays for. I had to go through the agent, which is plan B, uh, and uh, do have that interview tentatively lined up uh, for Wednesday. Not going to say who it is yet because I don't want to jinx it at all. Uh, so uh, all of that uh, locked in for next week already, and there'll be another guest, perhaps another two more guests uh, still to add. But until next week, get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya.